Yo, 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 what is up, heart, soul, humans? This is Zach coming at you with my co-host, Neil. Neil! Neil! <laughs> hey! And, and uh, we're recording today under uh, the most optimal conditions. Uh, Neil has no social energy. Uh, it's three in the afternoon. I have not eaten a bite of food, uh, and I just ran three miles, and now I have allergies. So we're uh, going to bring you... A plus content today. <laughs> and also, let me mention, we haven't been recording consistently in the last like three weeks. So yeah, we're back. Let's see what we okay. got, bud. We're back. This is, this is us at our finest. We know how to I feel show like this up is when like, we're in this place. This is like the Blink-182 comeback tour where it's like super hype, but it's just three old dudes getting back on stage with like back and hip pain and prostate issues. And they just like <laughs> are not, not functioning at optimal speed anymore. I started watching jackass 4.5 i think oh on God. netflix Many of those it was it was a documentary or it was like the story of like building up to the new film okay and they're showing some of the clips i won't watch like five minutes of it but i was just thinking exactly that i'm like everyone's old and everyone's kind of scared and worried to do this also really excited at the same time and they're like are we just like outdated at this point is it going to be funny I think I saw, I think I saw like the first 20 or 30 minutes of that. And they were talking about how they put the whole crew together and like how they were like, oh, we don't even know if we're going to be able to come back for this and like survive this. So we need to go get a bunch of young dudes to help us out yeah, so that they can take the brunt of the bad stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, was like, I don't know if they can handle it physically or psychologically. Cause like half of them became drug addicts after finishing Jackass when they closed yeah. down. So that's why yeah. Steve overcame gap. like drug addiction, which was like super mm-hmm. impressive. Yeah, I think most most of them did. Or at Good least for all uh, maybe if they weren't an addiction, but a lot of it they were using more than they'd like to admit. Yeah. Actually I mean, they did admit it all, but that's yeah. a pretty uh, I mean it's a pretty adrenaline heavy lifestyle. Like you have to be pretty pretty able to either block out or just not think about consequences if you have that as a professional job. So it makes sense that the drug use would make its way into the mix at some point. And you're just always on edge right there's a there's like a trauma level i mean it is traumatic but there's a major trauma level to it too but yeah. like the thing is too it's not just confined to when you are shooting it's like when you're asleep in the middle of the night when you're at home and not expecting anything to happen because there's some there's something that's going to happen still so it was just 24 7 man that's a really good point i didn't even realize that and and think about the years of fallout after that, like you get yourself so used to being amped up and like hyped up and on edge all the time. And you're not filming jackass at the time. So you kind of have to find a way to keep your dopamine really high to keep your like energy levels really high. Um, Like you're, you're used to a level of adrenaline Mm -hmm. at that point that you're not like getting from your lifestyle anymore. So they probably try and simulate it in other ways and hypervigilance at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. My God. Yeah. Right. Like, even though maybe you're not filming, like is Devo just going to show up in the middle of the night one night or like you hear a sound in the middle of the night and you think it's the crew and you're freaking out. And then it's actually just like a squirrel. So. Yeah. Is somebody going to like slide open my, you know, my, my ceiling and dump a bunch of live octopuses on me or something like crazy like that or whatever. I just make <laughs> I am imagining his octopus just dropping on your head right now. It's kind of funny. I'm kind of <laughs> turning into like octopus Zach right now. Just true manifestation right there. Um, did you work with many patients with PTSD when you were a therapist? A couple, but they weren't the active cases. Um, it was like in the history and then it was dealing with more so like 
the long-term implication, like they had already dealt with a lot of the act, like the PTSD. And so it was just like lingering anxiety or depression or whatever it is, mood stabilization. Where I saw the most was at the rehabs though. So when, cause I ran the department that um, basically handled all the calls, like anything inbound. Yeah. And so we were looking, we, I mean, I'd get, I'd see every single case that came in and I'd, I'd say probably like 90, 5% of people that came in were trauma cases. Mm. Um, and the ones that weren't, I'm going to assume, were just unconscious of that. Okay. So. When when you were working at the rehab center and you were seeing people that had history of PTSD, did the drug use usually begin after the PTSD, like after the traumatizing event? Most of it, the majority of the trauma was childhood trauma that I'd see. Okay. Um some of it ended up being older, like adult trauma um, from like partners or whatever experiences out in the world. It's not as much as I think it would be. Um, the ones that were non-trauma were painkillers from surgery or whatever that just stayed in the system and kind of was the catalyst for that. Yeah. But most of the trauma cases were just, well, unfortunately, male and female, they were just child sexual abuse. Yeah. So to, to what extent, so I got a, a couple questions here. Like to what extent did you see people overcome PTSD or I guess another way, like a um, the opposite way of looking at that question would be like, what were the lingering psychological comorbidities of PTSD that you saw? Uh, and then the second part of the question is like, in what ways did you see people's lives change after going to the rehab facility or after like going through therapy and getting social work and stuff like that? Like what, what adjustments in their path did you notice? Ooh, comorbidities. I mean, the most common ones are just anxiety depressive, but um, I think the one you'll find more interesting were leading were the development of personality disorders as a result of that. So I have this thought of like, personality disorders for the, for the most part um, are just coping mechanisms of the body gone kind of haywire and inability to process. And um, yeah. What was the second yeah. question? Um, well, actually I'll, I'll, I'll just okay. pause there for a second. And then I'll ask you, then I'll ask you the second question again, but like for our listeners, like a personality disorder is something like um, like borderline personality disorder, mm -hmm. narcissistic, histrionic, um, some cluster C's like OCD, for mm -hmm. example, those are all examples of different types of personality disorders. Uh, and I agree. I think, you know, and a lot of the psychiatrists I've spoken to would agree as well that personality disorders develop out of some form of trauma. I was actually having a conversation with this about my, with my, mm -hmm. about this with my friends the other night we were talking about, my friend kind of just posed the question and he was being tongue in cheek about it. Like he doesn't, you know, he he's like, he's, you know, somebody who's aware of like the way he's asking the question and like the implications right. of it. But he said like, you know, where's the line drawn between like mental illness and somebody who's basically just an asshole, you know? Mm -hmm. And we were talking a little bit about like narcissistic really personality. Gray, gray. Dude. <laughs> it's really gray. <clears throat> and you know, ultimately kind of what I came to was like, well, I mean, one, it's all the spectrum anyway, right? Like it's all, it's all some, there's different polarities of it, right? It's all just like a spectrum. Somebody who, for example, displays a narcissistic 
attitude, right? They're very into themselves, but they're not necessarily like right. personality disorder level. It's still the same thing. It's just maybe not impacting their lives to the point where it warrants a diagnosis. Um, but like the question I eventually posed was like, what's the translational aspect of this question? Like, what would be the point of finding the answer, right? If, is there, is there a different way that you treat these people like, you know, as like a clinician, right. Or, um, is there a different way that you think about these people just kind of as like a person or a spiritual being, you know, and like recognizing that a lot of these things came from trauma anyway. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I'm trying to think like on a clinical perspective, if I then had the diagnosis rather than thinking this person just has some like narcissistic asshole traits, um, what would change? And honestly, frankly, yeah, it would probably would change how I deal with them. I think, I think there's a level of like, it, it forces, I then drop into a place of greater empathy and patience and understanding though. That's how I, you know, going to try to show up anyways. But I think rather than the person just being, you know, kind of like an asshole, damn, I feel really bad saying that, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the truth of it for me. Yeah, no, I'm really, I'm really glad that you were upfront and honest about that because I think that that's probably the way that most, most of, of us would, would. Yeah. and it gives us the opportunity to like ask that reframe of like, well, if it's really all just a spectrum, then why do we need a diagnosis? Because like what we're what we're basically saying is like, oh, a diagnosis relieves this person in many ways of the accountability to their actions, and therefore I feel like they're a victim of their circumstance rather than a conscious actor in the way that they're behaving. And so we alleviate the judgment on them. But if there's a way to kind of uncouple those mental processes of like, regardless of like the, that was part of the conversation we had is like, Mm -hmm. what level of accountability do they have to like, how much control do they have over what they're, what they're experiencing? For example, like schizophrenia, right. Or somebody with like a delusional disorder versus like somebody who just kind of believes weird shit, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, how much control do they have over what they're experiencing and whether or not they do have control over it? Like, what does it look like to hold somebody accountable to their, to their beliefs and actions without like judging them or damning them, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And on the opposite of that too, right? Like I'm going to speak to someone who's very delusional and I know this is not what you're saying, but if I'm trying trying to teach you to hold yourself accountable to what standards am I to my standards or the standards of you and your experience as a person? Cause those can be very, very, very different. That's a really good point. And probably like, again, it's I'm sure person dependent, right. Or you mm-hmm. could say patient dependent, but person dependent. Cause I'd rather make it a more human discussion, a more human focused rather than healthcare focused discussion. Yeah. So that's a, that's an incredibly difficult job for any therapist or any family member or caretaker to have is like, to assess the person's understanding of what is going on and their ability, like to what degree are they able to be accountable? And then kind of like holding them in your mind to, to their potential, right? Like seeing them for their potential, right? You know, if um, somebody has a spinal cord injury and they, you know, they don't have control over their legs, like I'm not going to judge them harshly for try for not being able to reach a bowl on like a, in like a cupboard, like I'll grab the bowl for you. Um, but you know, if there's like something on the counter that's easily within reach, all you, all, you know, all you have to do is kind of like push your wheelchair two pushes over and then grab it. It's like, well, 
you know, like you're not going to progress in your independence unless you can start doing things that you know you can do for yourself, right? Like there's some level of accountability here. Um, and But it's harder to do that when it's something that's unseen, right? Like somebody's mental state and their motivations. Yeah, I think about... This is, this is not quite you and I, but it is a thing that happens in the world. The judgment on someone who's obese, right? There, there could be like a personal trainer who is just very judgmental because all you need to do is get up and exercise. So that, it's like that guy who did fit to fat to fit, right? He got, he was a personal trainer in 30 days. He put on like a hundred pounds or something like that. It was not that extreme, but he made himself obese to understand that experience and then had to bring himself back out of it too. So that was his challenge. This was like 10 years ago. Um, but it, it's that sort of like you, you, what am I trying to say? In that situation is it, it is really easy to judge that obese person because it is on the other end of it, a simple thing, right? You simply just exercise, you simply just eat well and it's, you're going to be Okay. I think about that on like the psychological side. We look at people like a Karen situation, right? Like it's not hard to just control yourself. It's not hard to just not freak out. But at the same time, we don't understand what's actually going on there because most likely, even if it's not clinical, even if it's not a trauma case, there's a lot of shit there that is just expressing itself as that Karen freak out. And it's not that simple, but it really does. It can look like that on the outside. Yeah. You know, I, that's a really good point. And I think that this, this raises the interesting point that uh, triggers a lot of people is that a lot. And I think it triggers a lot of people because they don't quite understand. I'm like really fighting back his knees. Hey, yeah. <laughs> but basically the idea that people are always doing the best with what they have. Mm -hmm. And that does not absolve them of accountability, right? Like right. we have to understand that doing the best with what they have doesn't mean that what they have, what they have available to them can't improve. And when I say that, what I mean oftentimes is like the weight of the consciousness of your society, your culture, your community, and your friends and family. So if you have a friend who you've known whatever for like since like high school or college or something like that. And they were in pretty decent shape when you knew them when you guys were young. And then they just progressively like gained weight over the years and you watch their motivation slowly slip away. You watch them become more depressed. You watch them become more overweight, blah, 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 blah. That patterns your consciousness and probably the consciousness of all their friends and family to believe like, Oh, they've become kind of like an unmotivated lazy person. And there's really no coming back from this. It doesn't seem like there's any end in sight, but the more that you think that and believe that the more that they feel that coming off of you too. And the more that it might color the, the subtle ways you communicate to them, the nonverbal ways you communicate to them, the things that you do with and for them. And it's palpable to them, whether they recognize it or not. And it affects the way it affects their, the ability that they have to overcome what's going on. It would be like adding weights to a weight vest every time you saw them like, Oh, well, here's like another ounce and here's another ounce and here's another ounce. Every time I condescend you, every time I think of you as unmotivated or lazy, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, and that doesn't, again, that doesn't absolve them of accountability. Like they can choose to take the weights out of the weight vest or just to take the weight vest off altogether. But we do contribute to the way that people can 
overcome obstacles through the way that we think and believe about them as well. It's funny because I immediately started to think about that dynamic and the conversation between those two people and then immediately how much things would change if all of a sudden this other person comes and says, yeah, and I've also, I like, I've been seeing a therapist and I like am really struggling with like this, whatever disorder. Um, and then immediately, right. Night and day. And then your interactions with that person begin to change, become more empathetic and understanding as well. Yeah. Or like that they told you that they were traumatized in college mm-hmm. or whatever, like, Oh Yeah. Like things really changed for me after I was like, you know, like raped in college or like after, Mm -hmm. you know, my girlfriend or my boyfriend of like five years broke up with me and like by cheating on me or like whatever, like some, some traumatic event. Um, And you're like, oh, like now I understand how this whole thing started. And just again, seeing how that would change the way that you feel and believe about them as well. Right. When we know what the root of the problem is, we are often less judgmental. And so why can't we just perform mental exercises to like, well, maybe this is what's going on with them. Or maybe there's just something going on in their mind or in their life that I cannot understand or that I don't know about that's contributing to this. It's usually what I try and do when I'm like mad at somebody (laughs) like randomly. Um, Yeah. Randomly in the, in my life. I'm driving and someone just cut me off and I'm like, you know what? They could be speeding to like the hospital to, you know, like I really have no idea. Literally the other day I was in like a Trader Joe's parking lot. And for whatever reason, you know know how they'll have like sometimes one lane parking lots where Mm -hmm. all the parking spaces will be slotted so that you can go down one way and like pull into the parking spots easily. I, for whatever reason, like spaced out and turned down the wrong one. So I was going the wrong Didn't way. That. And this dude started to like turn into that parking space. And I was like, you know, kind of held my hands up like, hey, stop, like, wait, go back. I'm going to try and loop around you. And he just kept coming down the lane. And he wasn't, he had the right of way, obviously, like he was going down the right direction. I wasn't. Yeah. So I had to like pull over really tight, close to one of these cars. And he moved, he drove past me and rolled his window. And he's like, you're in the wrong lane, bro. And like yelled at me. And I'm like, I'm fucking obviously in the wrong lane. I know that. That's why I held my hands up and said, don't come this way, right? And I got like pretty angry at him. And then I was like, you know, immediately caught myself. And I'm like, you know, he might be having a really shitty day. He's in the car with his girlfriend. He might be insecure and he's trying to like look tough because he doesn't want to like, I don't know, seem like he's not good at setting boundaries and like can protect her against other men or like whatever it might be. I have no idea what's going on in that dude's mind. Um, And am I going to let this shit ruin my day? You know, like, am I really going to do that? And then I'm just thinking of the humanist experience of him. Like, yeah, but just dude, just don't, you don't have to be an asshole. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, that's really what I want. I really wanted to roll my way. Yeah. A lot of the time I've, I've been guilty fight. of like, you know, being so flustered that I can't roll my window down quick enough and just literally punching my window and shouting at a person through it and being like, okay, I need to chill. chill the While at the same time, they have no idea. And they're just fucking having the time of their life, just like blasting whatever song and singing. And you're just they're all pissed still off driving in, in the opposite direction. You're like, ah, I did nothing. Right. Okay. I like to, I like I just to, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, I, I just, I like saying, um, that being angry at somebody is like lighting yourself on fire and wondering why they're not burning, mm-hmm. you know? So why be angry? <laughs> that is like the core lesson of everything I was taught growing up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably in like, from what you've told me, not like the most holistic ways. It was more like kind of, or at least what, the way that you internalized it was more like suppress the feeling of anger rather than mm-hmm. metabolize it. Yeah. There, there was, Yeah. 
it would have gone a long way if I was taught to acknowledge the feeling rather than like ignore it. But that's all right. I learned and I'll create me. So here I am. Here you are. We are going to talk about witches and yeah, <laughs> got some none of that. Hocus pocus today. Okay. Let me, let me ask you this though, real quick. Okay. Clinical diagnosis on a witch. If we were to talk about it psychologically and actually in a real life scenario, what would that actually be? Schizotypal personality disorder. Well, boom. Yeah. Well, boom. Well, boom. Yeah. There's this, it's a, it's what's known as a cluster A personality disorder. Um, and it, it's basically like in every like paragraph you'll read about it or every question stem you'll see about it. It's like whatever, a 20 something year old person who, um, wears odd clothing like you know miss like mismatched colored clothing and like has a bunch of crystals and thinks that they're gonna like heal them or whatever so it's i'm like talking about me fired bro yeah <laughs> like exactly but crystals and different colored shirts and yeah right but again it's it's like a spectrum yeah. you know where it's like basically like the idea is that these people have kind of quote-unquote magical beliefs and uh that they really struggle socially right so that mm-hmm. they struggle to read social cues. They have like very low emotional quotient and believe a bunch of things that most people would find preposterous. Right. Um, They happen to target new age (laughs) spirituality type practices when, uh, when teaching about it though. All right. So y'all might not have remembered, but we did somehow. Uh, th- this was a tangent and, <laughs> and I had a second question for Neil. So we were talking about, uh, the patients that he saw with PTSD and we talked a little bit about like what some of the psychological comorbidities or kind of after effects were of the PTSD. But my second question was after these folks were getting consistent therapy, they were getting some resources through social work and you were able to notice that there was like maybe a shift in their consciousness, right? Like a, a slight shift in ele- like elevation in their consciousness. So they felt maybe a little bit more free of the suffering of some of their lower levels, lower states of consciousness. In what ways did you see their life change? In what ways did you see new opportunities and new resources and new attitudes and behaviors manifest into their life? It's tough. And this is actually, I'm going to hit on part of the reason why I ended up leaving the system because treatment ended up being, I'll talk more specifically at the rehab treatment ended up being more just rapid stabilization than treatment. So we weren't able to get to see people as far through as we'd like to. So I'm not able to give to share as many of those experiences as I like. Um, A lot of times it was just about like detoxing them and getting like a couple days of psychological stabilization to be able to get them into outpatient, which was just for the most part, non-successful because people would come back in. Um, So my gripes with insurance, I won't get into that, but on the people where I can really remember, it was just gratitude, man. Like, from being in a place where you aren't aware of yourself or what you're doing, you're, you're more so just acting based off of um, where you're just acting based off of impulse, moving into a place of being able to slow down to reflect, to look at yourself and become more self-aware to then 
see what I end up seeing as a shift into gratitude for family, for community, for people around you, for the treatment, for everything. Uh, that's the biggest shift I see from someone going from one end to the other. And it, that's always the most beautiful and rewarding for me too. Gratitude is, it's truly in, such an incredibly powerful like state of being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's that's a life changer for sure. I've seen so many people who have been like addicted to drugs or on the street and when they turn their lives towards gratitude, like there's a sense of wholeness in them that they didn't have access to before, right? Like the wholeness was always there inside of them, but they feel that wholeness. And even if the external circumstances of their life don't change all that much, like I've, I've met unhoused individuals who were still unhoused after developing a state of gratitude, but their sense of well-being was like radiating off of them. The most like beautiful people you'll meet sometimes. Yeah. It is those that just blows my mind. And some people have absolutely nothing except the love in their heart. And there's just so much love in their heart. I'm like, man, it's incredible. It's incredible resilience. Um, I met a, I met a homeless guy the other day. Uh, Me and my friends were like, we had like dinner at, at a friend's place and then we like went out for dessert and, uh, outside of one of these like dessert diners, <laughs> this guy was like calling, calling my friend, like a queen. She, he's like, you're such a queen. Like, I'm going to hold the door for you, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, he looked at me, he's like, what's up King, you know, and just kind of like just being incredibly kind and nice and had, you know, just smiled at everybody. He had no front teeth, like at all top or bottom and just gave this beaming smile to everybody he saw. And like his attitude was infectious. I was like, this is a, just is a good human being, you know? Right? Like you, you could sense that there was, you know, the being on the street for a long time had like created a little bit of like instability in his, you know, in his emotions right. and, his, and in his like mental state, but like not to call him a mentally unstable person or try and, you know, say anything that would make anybody judge him. He was a good, he seemed like a genuinely good person. Oh, I didn't chime on that, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was, um, so I started listening to, I think I just told you this before we started uh-huh. recording, but I started listening to this book called The Kybalion. It was written in 1908 by some individuals who were, I guess, amidst the lineage of like hermetic teachings. Mm-hmm. So hermetic being uh, a person known as like Hermes Trismegistus back in ancient Egypt, who uh, okay, I'm trying to figure out like how much of this backstory I actually want to go into. Not much. We'll just say that we'll just say that he, in one way or another, developed um, a wisdom teaching or a lineage of teaching uh, based off of seven hermetic principles that have permeated almost pretty much every religion you've ever heard of in modern times. Um, and one of these seven hermetic principles is the principle of polarity, and it basically says that all things exist, all things have duality in all planes of consciousness um, or all planes of reality. And that opposites are actually identical things, but vary by rather by degree. Like they're identical in their essence, but vary by their degree. And that individuals who are practiced in hermetic thought or hermetic teachings can meant can undergo mental transmutation. So basically like, transmuting lower vibrational consciousness to higher vibrational consciousness, not just in themselves, but in others 
by practicing the law of or the principle of polarity. So you take whatever lower vibrational or like whatever negative emotional state you're experiencing, find its opposite, and then basically align yourself to that opposite. And you find that I was right. I was journaling about this last night. Like when I do it, I know that I've found the true opposite of the thing that I'm experiencing when I immediately feel the amplitude of that negative vibration begin to decrease. Um, or rather, I begin to feel that emotions hold over my behavior and thoughts, loosen its grip. And what's happening is that the exact opposite polarity of that thing is neutralizing the vibration and basically like bringing you to a state of neutrality so that your truer essence can kind of come forth and manifest out through you. And so when you were talking about gratitude, I was thinking about, because we all know how to feel gratitude. So I was thinking about what the polar opposite of gratitude was. So we know when to use gratitude. Oh, I started thinking about that. I don't know what the actual opposite is. It's tough. This is one of the reasons I'm yeah, asking because it could go in a lot to put my head together. of different directions of like, yeah. you know, similar but different attributes. Because, you know, when you think of lack, you think of abundance. Mm-hmm. When you think of anger, you think of forgiveness. When you think of stress, you think of calm, right? Gratitude, hate, maybe? Perhaps. Maybe victimization? Or... Uh, I guess a little, that's a little too know. specific. Um, Entitlement? So if I gave you a gift, let's think of it in like a practical sense, maybe this will help us out. And maybe our listeners are yelling it at us right now and we have no idea. But if I gave you a gift in one reality, you're grateful for it. Thank you so much. It was so nice of you to be thinking of me and it has given me this gift out of the blue. In another world, I get you a gift and you're not grateful for it. You Maybe you look at it and you judge it and you go mm-hmm. like, oh, well, this is something I would barely ever use. Like, why would you even think to give me this? Oh, this is the cheap version of this gift, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's some form of like, it's not good enough. You know what I mean? There's, I feel like there's not one word for this. There's a bunch of words that kind of touch on it. Yeah. But it's not like the word. It's like a lack of appreciation, really. So we'll just say that. (laughs) Yeah. And that manifests in a lot of different ways, right? Yeah. Yeah. So entitlement and um, judgment and like, it's like a combination of all these things kind of put together. It's being a brat, essentially. It's being a brat. Yeah. Yeah. Brattiness and gratitude. Bratitude. Bratitude. Yeah. Exhibiting bratitude. Yeah. That just makes me think of Brad Pitt, just like pursing his lips and taking (laughs) like a, like a sexy GQ picture now. The bratitude. Well, let me ask you this. No. So in that practice, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> All right. That episode's done. Bye guys. Yeah. Um, we, you and I would both agree that there's, there's a lot of good things that surface too, when that negative comes up. Right. So it's a gift to be able to realign ourselves to a higher attribute, but at the same time, how do we ensure that we're not, I guess, missing a step and bypassing within that practice. I think that because these polar opposites, like the Kybalion would say, are identical in their essence and only differ by their degree, that the exact same lesson exists at both ends of the polarity. And it depends on what vibrational spectrum you want to learn that lesson in, right? Mm -hmm. So if I want to be- either way, essentially. 
yeah, if I want to hold a grudge and be angry at somebody as a means of trying to learn about my self-worth, I can do that. But the way that I'm going to do that is going like, fuck this person and the way that they treated me. Like, I'm too good for that. I don't deserve that. So I'm going to fucking ice this person out and blah, 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 blah. Or I could learn to forgive them and go like, you know, their action was probably, probably had a lot less to do with me than it did the way that they were informed by their upbringing, by the circumstances of their life and the way that they think. I am going to forgive them because I love myself enough to not make myself suffer over this. So I'm learning about my self-worth either way, but I'm doing it in two completely different ways. Yeah. And I mean, somatically too, I was so much more responsive to the second one. Yeah. Like my body was so much more at ease, whereas I was all like tightened up when you were speaking out the first one. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Right. I think that you come here to learn lessons and you're going to learn it one way or another. another. (laughs) Like nobody will take those lessons from you, no matter how hard they try. Um, And spirit would not try to take those lessons from you. You have a choice in the way that you learn them. You know, you have a choice to align at a certain level and learn them. Yeah. So to tie it back into spookhood, you really get a choice of trick or treat. Oh, like that. You're going to turn a trick or you're going to eat a treat. (laughs) Right. You get a Snickers or you get egged. So let's, let's go with the, actually let's go with the Kit Kat because we'll take a pause and then enjoy some chocolate. Oh, yeah, Kit Kat sounds so fucking good right now. Actually, no, it sounds good right now. Twix. Yo, okay, so Kit Kat or Twix, bro. Those those are the two top tier, like, Halloween chocolates, so. Oh, man, I I do like Kit Kats, but they're just not, like, they don't hit deep enough, right? Like, there's a decadence to a Twix with, like, all the caramel and the nougat that just, like, Mm -hmm. that just does me in, you know? It's the same with, like, a Snickers, like the added peanut and like the caramel and the nougat, just like, Oh, bud. It, it oh, just bud. is good. So would you go Kit Kat with the Twix goodness in it? Or would you go like a wafer? Just like a wafer with caramel and nougat in it. Mm-hmm. Cause at the same time, like the Twix cookie thingy is also is. really good. Um, Ooh, that's a, that's a good question, man. I would want to try it. Cause I do think that like, Kit Kat almost tastes like a little nutty. It kind of tastes like hazelnut. So if you did like a hazelnut Twix, bro. All right, so I got so I got another food question for you. Our listeners are probably so so done with our with our shit at this point. But PB and J or PB and Nutella? PB and J. Whoa, depends on the mood. Uh, I'll go PB and J, or I just like straight up Nutella as the sandwich. Just just a Nutella sandwich, or like yeah, just Nutella on like some bread. I would do it on toast. Yeah. Okay, how yeah. about this is gonna this is gonna send it over the edge for you then? Are you gonna PB frick my brain. Nutella and a and banana sliced up on it? Mm, I'm down. Except let's turn that into a crepe. Okay, yeah, I mean that's that's a Extra classic. Down. That's a classic American crepe right there. I doubt yes, I doubt they is. do that shit in Europe. They're like you motherfuckers. Like, <laughs> actually, there there is a lot of hazelnut, um, like a Nutella. Well, Nutella for sure. Yeah. Yeah, crepes, but all the combination of it. Yeah, that's very US. I mean, if you want to make a super US, just throw in some bacon and that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. The, whatever the monkey <laughs> bread, or what was it? Uh, golden bread. Is that what it's called? Monkey bread. The, whatever. What's the Elvis thing? 
Elvis is like peanut butter, banana, fool's honey, gold. and bacon. I fool's think. gold. That's what oh, it's there's an actual term for yeah, it. It's fool's gold. It's like I did not know that. It's like you take a p, you take like a baguette, you hollow it out, you fill it with PB jelly, bacon. I think like banana and honey, and then you close it back up, and then you cover it in butter, wrap it in tin foil, and you put it in the oven. That sounds bomb. Yeah, I want. There's a reason he had a heart attack on the toilet. Elvis on some deep fried French toast. Because there's a place by me that used to do that. Bomb. Oh, what Turn that deep fried French toast to deep fried cinnamon hollow. What are you doing to me right now, bro? I used to, I remember after I finished my first bodybuilding show, we went to this like decadent ass breakfast place the next morning. And I had strawberry cream cheese French toast. Mm. And my life was never the same. I I just now I want one of us to hold the nickname of Decadent Breakfast. Which <laughs> makes no sense, but like <laughs> no, it's it's a long, it's a long aggressive nickname, and I like it because I started calling Sierra Iron Chef Bobby Flay as one of her I saw pet names. That. <laughs> <laughs> it, but it would make a little bit more sense for you because I could see a little Bobby Flayness in you a little bit. Well, what happened basically, like, so she woke me up one morning and I was just like in my sleep addled brain. Like I just mumble random nicknames at her, juggling bubbles, scoobling woobles. Like I just say random nonsense words to her. So I was just for like a minute straight, just like rambling off random shit. And then the last one I said was, I was like, scoobling woobles, juggling bubbles, Iron Chef Bobby Flay. And then I just started, I laughed myself awake and was like, I'm calling you Iron Chef Bobby Flay for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's a <adorable>. joke. <laughs> that is great oh well i think on that note <laughs> chefs prepare your kitchens <laughs> fuck i was gonna do whatever the dude said in iron chef and i can't remember what he would say i have dude, i've never once watched iron chef boo on you i know for fucking shame that's all i grew up watching was this food network so but I watched a lot of Emerald Gossi. Boom. Bam. 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 Back when every chef had you, a fucking catchphrase. I want a catchphrase now. A chef phrase. I'm going to start making up a chef phrase when I cook at home. Didn't you have a catchphrase? Wasn't it seen a splash or something like that? <laughs> that was our phrase together. <laughs> and we won't like, share what that means to the audience. Cast me out like this. <laughs> Throwing you out like Beelzebub. We made it up together. It was our phrase, sir. Jeez. Breaking up with you. Uh, yeah, I won't abandon you like that. <laughs> um, bye. I got no way to close yeah, this. Yeah, I'm about to die of allergies, so we need to end this before either we lose all of our listeners or I, I pass away. Love you and guys. That's how we're ending this. Love you. Goodbye.